This is the Truth Network. She was so scared. She threw her hands up in the In Car Guy Radio Show. I say this calls for action, and now nip it in the bud. Nip it in the bud. You got to nip it in the bud. Take it from my hands, cause I can't do this on my own. I let it go. So give me one more chance. Save me from this Welcome to Christian Car Guy Radio. I'm Jerry Mathis with Ray's Body Shop and Wrecker Service, the Christian Body Shop guy. Filling <laughs> in again this morning for, for Robbie, who is in Florida on vacation. We all deserve vacation. This morning, I love that song leading in, Jesus Take the Wheel. And this morning is a perfect time for that because in the studio with me this morning is, I'm going to tell you what, when you hear his voice, it's going to be, you're going to recognize exactly who it is. It's, maybe, maybe I, not. I believe, I believe you. this is one of those unique voices that is, if you're a NASCAR fan, you know Mark Garrow's voice. And Mark Garrow is not just PRN announcer, and I think multiple winner of NASCAR Broadcaster of the Year Award. And I'm not bragging, but six times. Six times. I mean, you know, I, I would have thought at least seven. But I, I, I was I, hoping for maybe two. So <laughs> I'm, I'm wait. See, look, when I left Vermont years and years ago to, to – chase my nascar dream i joked with everybody that i'm just going down there to try to be almost semi-famous and so i'm working on always trying to be almost semi-famous yeah I, I, <laughs> that's, I believe. My, that's my goal in life <laughs> almost semi-famous almost almost well, besides all of that i can tell you uh, another th- thing about mark is not only is prn nascar announcer but he's also my good friend and also a brother in christ and that probably means more to me than than all of the other stuff put together, and and I'm I'm just excited about having you in the studio this morning. Well, I told you before this was on my bucket list, that, and you looked at me like no, I, I'm serious. I listen to you guys all the time, and you know, being a brother in Christ, you know, I want to try to involve myself in just as many Christian things as I can get my hands on, and uh, so this was on my bucket list. So this is really cool for me, and you know, Stu and. Little Stu and Big Stu and all those guys are a Bible study every Wednesday at uh, Dario's. So, you, have, you know, to be on their radio station, man, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think they're going to think it's pretty cool also. <laughs> this morning, one of the things I want to do is remind you that this is a call-in show. So if you have any kind of NASCAR-related uh, questions or something about body repair or, or towing or anything like that, just give us a call. The number is 866-348-7884. Again, 3... Um, I could go into 366, but it's 866-348-7884. And this morning, one of the things we're going to talk about is we talk about NASCAR. We talk about speed. Plenty of speed involved with NASCAR. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this morning, before I go into that, I'm going to lead into where speed isn't always the best thing and where it can get us in trouble. You know, what? remember when NASCAR a few years ago had that promotion with all through all the different series, it was speed leave it on the track uh, and stuff and sometimes i think we kind of forget about that uh this week uh i ended up getting an email with a lot of the stats from driving and car accidents 
Right. And I just wanted to read through some of these, and Mark, you just stop me because some of them are that seem interesting because some of them are so. I mean, they sort of take you back when you realize just the magnitude of the uh, sheer number. Yeah. Yeah. Got speed related crashes cost Americans. You know how much it costs Americans with with speed related crashes. Forty point four billion dollars a year that's with a b that's with a b and not an M. I mean, you think about that now on my end a little bit i'm i'm grateful for that in the body shop business yeah i know why that's good for you but bad for us so yeah, yeah i got you i got you and then for more than two decades uh speeding is involved in approximately one-third of all motor vehicle accidents teens are more likely than older drivers to speed and allow a shorter stopping distance between cars and which increases the risk of- which comes down to a their inexperience and b they you know they think they're 10 feet tall bulletproof as well yeah well, been there done yeah, that yeah you thought you know growing up i mean it you hear all this stuff you know and it I, happened to everybody but me i did some stuff on motorcycles when when i was a teenager that i look back and every time i'm called to testify or i feel led to stand up to testify i always start with a, thank God for saving me, and B, thank God for protecting me before he did, because there's no doubt in my mind he had a plan for my life and a plan to, for me to become a Christian because of the things that I survived that I should not have survived when I was younger. Yeah, and then another one, here's another stat that really should uh, concern us all. Speeding killed 10,111 mm. people in the U.S. in 2016 and then speed is a factor in 31 percent of all teen deaths mm. you think about those numbers i mean and then, then you know and, you know and, and i don't want to get into the politics but you know you have these crazy shootings and people get up all in arms about it and they, and they should i'm not saying they shouldn't but when you see those numbers, I don't see anybody marching in the streets like we have to stop this carnage for young for young people. We have to figure out figure out a way to help them. Yeah, and you know? I think a lot of it's just education. You get into some of this other stuff where uh, data shows that uh, going ten miles an hour over the speed limit increases the risk of an accident by ten percent. Wow, that's just I mean you know that's that's kind of. You know, and that goes back to stopping distance and reaction time. And you know, and everybody's reaction time is different, you know. So, you know, mine has always been pretty quick, but it has gotten me out of situations. But not, not everybody has that kind of hand-eye yeah, and coordination. You, yeah, you mentioned the, the tailgating. Flip yeah, I'm down. bad about that sometimes. Yeah, I have to start talking about it. So look back up. You know the deal. You know, this isn't NASCAR drafting at Talladega, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, and then tailgating contribute, is a contributing factor to the more than one-third of all crashes on the roads. So you think about wow. that. Wow. That's, that's a huge number. Those are crazy numbers. Let me see here. A couple of the others. 6% of traffic fatalities are caused by aggressive driving. And that goes back to the tailgating and it goes into different factors and stuff. Uh, every year, roughly 1.3 million people die in car accidents worldwide. Uh, 58% of police-reported fatality accidents in the U.S. involve only one car. Think about that. It's running off the road, losing concentration, not paying attention. Texting. Just, there you go. Texting. Fixing I was just coming up, you know, 52 on the way to the studio, 
And I come up on this car, and I, I moved to the inside, then come back to the left-hand lane. They were out in the left-hand lane, head down, texting, head up, looking for a second, then texting. And they were actually spending more time looking at the phone than they were when they picked their head up to see where they were going. That was, that's crazy. Yeah. And if anything happened in front of them, I mean, how many times have we seen uh, and these stories about you know, these two people texting, and I was reading a story about a, a girl, her sister died texting, and they were talking about, you know, putting makeup on while she was driving down the road, and she was halfway through a text and picked yeah. her head up, and she was on the wrong side, got hit head on, and that just, was it. Just yeah. a second. I mean, it said motor vehicle crashes are the leading cause of death for U.S. teens, mm. and that was in, uh, that was Department of uh, Public safety and, and that's why when my daughter Brianna rolled out of the driveway the first time when she had her license, my heart was in my throat, you know, that whole day. And she was just driving, you know, two or three miles to, to uh, Union Grove Christian School and back to the house. Um, when she left the driveway, I went like, I'm not ready for this. This is, you know, because of those those kind of stats. It's scary out there for young yeah, kids. And, and sending a text or reading a text takes your eyes off the road for five seconds. At 55 miles an hour, you know how much ground you cover? Oh, I'm not going to like this number. It's going to be the length of a football field. Wow. And so that would be like just shutting your eyes, closing your eyes, go the length of a football and field. And you're three car lengths behind somebody, and you and you just cost yourself 100 yards. That's that's big. Yeah. Absolutely. That's big. Yeah. And, and to wrap it up, I want to just get down to uh, a couple other things I wanted to make sure. See, reading or writing increased the risk 10 times. Uh Dialing a phone uh, uh, distracts you and increases your likelihood of an accident by just dialing the phone number by 12 times. Uh, one out of four drivers use a cell phone right before they were involved in a crash. I don't doubt that at all. And you see those numbers, man. You it know, just... it used to be you You know, you know, and I kind of growing up. I mean, I thought it was bad when they stuck a pager on me and I was on this electronic leash but when I was driving to a race, let's say, to Atlanta, you know, got in my truck in Raleigh and just started rolling down the highway. The only time I might use a phone, I might get a page, but I'm three or four hours down the road. I'm listening to some music, listening to, you know, something on the radio or listening to nothing at all, windows down, just enjoying life. Nowadays, you got to have cell phone. You got to have your emails coming in. You're looking at the Internet. It's crazy, yep. you know. We'll be right back after the break. Again, it's call-in show Mark, I'm going to go ahead and just uh, go, hit on a couple more of these statistics. Then I want okay. to kind of get into a little bit of the Mark Garrow. And I got a story to tell. I was listening to Robbie. He does those little short little little vignettes here on the yeah. station about things. And but one time, like the throttle stick and what to do. I got a story on that one. That that I mean. It, okay, we're going to as, soon as, as yeah. soon as as soon as I heard that one on the Truth Network the other day, I went like, "Holy smokes, man!" An instant memory came back about the day that they asked me to test drive a car, 
and working on a garage. They just got done working on a carburetor back then. Old hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me hit this stat, and I'm going to turn okay, you loose right. on but that. Anyways, the, the long and the short of it, the test drive did not. The spring fell off. The test drive went wrong. So go ahead. Uh, <laughs> talking about stats, I just wanted to mention these couple. Uh, te- this right here is mostly involving teens. Texting while driving increased the risk of crashing 23 times. Think of that's that text mm. and how much it increases. Texas increases your chance of rear-ending somebody by a multiple of seven. Each day, 11 teens die in crashes caused by texting and driving. See, we don't read about that. Why, why aren't we more up in arms about that? Why, why don't we have, you're, you're 21 years of age, you're under, you step in a car, there should be some kind of electronics, now shut your phone down, right? Either You get a call through the, you know, the, the, the electronics in the car, but you can't dial a call and you can't text. I mean, come on, we have the technology, let's stop this. Yeah, and, and to that point, it says, you know, that uh, even using hand, hands-free devices still increases the risk of of an accident by four per, forty four times it increases right. four times and you think you know and i thought well how is that any different if somebody's just sitting there and a the passenger i don't know how i guess it's just the way you well, concentrate. I mean, you know you know have you you know you're going down the road and your bluetooth is on and you're looking at the road and all that but the fact is your brain's doing two things at the same time you're driving and you may be talking through the bluetooth so again you're not 100 percent in the game that can't be good right absolutely now since we See, got through all I that i mean phones are phones like use them for it you know you don't have to do the internet and texting and all that going down the road i mean you really don't yeah and, and even take the phones out of it they were talking about how driving behind the wheel crying or or angry or some kind of emotional thing oh that'll do increases it increases it by like seven percent right and you know that kind of you know it's just that when you're behind the wheel of a vehicle man that is a huge responsibility and it needs our 100 percent absolutely you're driving a weapon you're you're driving you're driving basically a loaded gun and you don't want to have the trigger go off when you don't you know and a bullet fly out of there they when you don't want it to i mean that's that's absolutely you know the car is what 1500 1800 5000 6000 7000 all these different vehicles how much how much they weigh and and what that impact is at just 35 miles an hour, let alone when you're running 65 or 75. I think those numbers would floor people as well. You're going like, you know, hey, you, you, you're driving a 7,000-pound vehicle. You crash at 75 miles an hour, head on into a tree or wall. You've just been in a plane crash. Yeah. That's the kind of impact that you're in. Absolutely. Now, let me go ahead. Back up to your story. Here. Okay. Now, what was that? All right. So, Robbie was talking about, hey, what happens when, you know, the throttle sticks, right? Don't turn off the key. You got your brakes. Your brakes will handle it, right? But don't turn off the key because you're going to lose your power steering. You're going to lose your power brakes and so on and so forth. Well, I had a little garage. I had a mechanic in there, and uh, back once upon a time, helping run a garage for my parents. Had a grocery store across the street. We needed a parking lot for the store, more parking, and the gas station kind of went with it. So I was stuck. You know, here I am, 15 years old, 16 years old, trying to run gas station, knowing nothing about mechanics. So I hired an old guy that had a lot of experience. So my Uncle Paul and Aunt Dolly had an old Chrysler Newport Custom. I mean, these things were so big that you could <laughs> fill up the back seat with water, put a diving board in, you know, family of four could, could swim while you went down the road. And they had these monster motors. And, of course, Chryslers were known for you just touch the brakes. And, I mean, they just grabbed. I mean, they would stand the car right up on end. So they fixed the carburetor, and they said, take it up the street, you know, punch it, and just make sure there's no lag in it and uh, drive around the block, come back. 
And so I head up the street. So I, I mash the gas and it just goes right to the floor. I mean, just, just, I hit it one, I, I heard something go bang, you know, and apparently a couple springs came off the carburetor. It just come hung wide open. And so it's flying down this hill and I'm, I'm 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. I'm going like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Right. There's heavy traffic coming. I'm going like, Holy smoke. So I don't know what to do. So I just sat there and I just, well, these things got brakes on. So I jump on the brakes as hard as I could. And this vehicle probably weighed a good 6,000 pounds. And so it practically did a nose stand where the back tires nearly come off the ground. Well, when it did, um, there was so much back pressure in the motor stopping the car, it blew the whole exhaust system out from underneath this thing. So the thing hops in the air, goes up in the air uh, when I slam the brakes on. And I hear feel this explosion underneath my feet. It bounce, lands, it bounces. I bounce down the road about 25 yards, and I look in the rearview mirror, and I mean muffler, tailpipes, everything laying all over the ground. I'm going like, and but I got the thing stopped, you know. So it turned the key off. I don't know how I didn't blow the engine. It was probably running like 15,000 RPMs at that particular point when I when I had it completely at a stop. But I I so I had to put a complete exhaust system on it. Um, and that uh, 25 to 50 yards completely tore the brakes off it, just trying to stop it, right? So brake pads, rotors, the, you know, the whole nine yards. So that was my lesson in what happened when the throttle hangs, you know. So now you know why race drivers in NASCAR, people don't, uh, don't know that, that on their throttle foot, they built into the pedal a little hook above their foot so that uh, if the throttle hangs, they can put, pick their foot up and it catches that, that little that little you know piece of steel that they've got across there and it pulls the throttle up you know so when it goes to the floor and something happens they that's how they used to take care of it now electronic ignitions they probably have kill switches and things like that but uh once upon a time that's how they did it in nascar you know and you tell that story my question is when you went back did you tell them there was a problem with the car (laughs) yeah you know it's a hard time explaining to you know um my aunt and uncle and they thank goodness they were i was kind of their favorite and uh nephew it's hard to explain to them, like, I know you, you know, we were supposed to just do a carburetor <laughs> rebuild, uh, but now we have to put a complete exhaust system, bra- new brakes all the way around and, and fix the carburetor again. Uh, so that was, that was interesting to try to ex- explain to that what happened, but I, I'll never forget the fear. And, you know, and, and if I hadn't finally said, you know, something, we're going to stop this field. And I was getting ready to turn the key off and which would have been probably that have been the end it would have definitely been a crash so uh again robbie when you when you did that deal brought back an instant memory yeah no doubt (laughs) once again a great show i'll tell you what i enjoy having mark in the studio with me this morning and we'll be back shortly i'm jerry mathis bray's body shop and record service you listen to christian car guy radio Robbie Dillmore here, and you know, I've developed a real soft spot for my pillow. <laughs> and if you've been waiting for the lowest price ever offered on my pillow, it's arrived with their patented interlock fill system, American made guaranteed not to go flat. And believe me, I've had mine for over five years now, and it hasn't. Fully machine washable, six day money back guarantee, and a simple four question filling process. Right now, get a two pack of my pillow premiums for only $69.99. That's right, only $34.99 per pillow, which is the lowest price ever offered on radio or TV. Dial 1 800 942 9613 or use the promo code Get Truth at MyPillow.com. You, too, could have a soft spot for my pillow at only $34.99 a pillow. 
6998 for two. Call 800 942 9613 or go to mypillow.com and don't forget, use that promo code GETTRUTH. Turn my keys, step on start, or take you right to my car. Engine it goes, engine it goes. Hey, I think that's a follow up from Mark's story right there. <laughs> no lie. Hey, no uh, lie. As I said this morning, we've got Mark Garrow, uh, PRN, uh, in the studio with me. i got a question for you, Mark, and I have, I've heard some of this before, but just what, I mean, you weren't born in the South. You you got transplanted down here and big part I'm of NASCAR. I'm a darn Yankee, as yeah, they say, right? Yeah, we, yeah that's, we're trying to forgive you for that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm more, I am more now from the South. When I go back home up North, and because of the people I've been around down here, the people I like, you know, uh, I get I get offended because, you know, apparently with comedians, if you're Southern and you're white and you're Christian, you're always fair game, you know, and they always portray Southern people as not being very smart and things like that. And I try to tell people to go, look, some of the smartest people I ever met in my life are wearing overalls and work boots down south. And I said, and I promise you that you never want to get in a card game with them, game of poker or something. They'll take everything you got. I said, they are, they are super smart. And, you know, and, and then with my Christian faith, you go up north and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm from Vermont. You know, they have abortion laws there now that up to nine months. The baby can be born and taken out of the womb and placed on the side. And then the mom and the doctor apparently can have some kind of conversation whether or not, hey, do we, you know, what do we do here? Um, and, I, and I just think to myself, my goodness, you know, my, that state used to be a, like a, a independent conservative state. And now some of the stuff that we do that happens there makes San Francisco look conservative or, or moderate. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a square peg in a round hole when I go home now. A lot of times people hate to see me coming because I tell them, I said, I'm too old to, to uh, just walk away from the debate, you know, so they um, you know, my, my conversations with my mom about abortion, she finally switched affiliations and started voting, uh, for Republicans and conservatives just over that one issue. Cause I'm, I'm a one issue guy when it comes to politics, they can give me 7,000 ads. Are you for life? Are you against life? You know, and if you're for life, I'm, I'm with you. If you're against it, then, then I'm not. So, um, I always tell my daughters, they can throw, you know, 7,000 TV ads at me and, five million radio ads at me during a political campaign. I said, I make up my mind five seconds and there's no change in it, you know, at that particular point. So, um, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, yeah, I, I come from here, but you know, it's, it's funny. I was around racing my whole life. You know, my dad, uh, when I was one year old was a professional prize fighter. He boxed, uh, all Marine Corps champion and he boxed all over the world, uh, during the Korean War for the Marines. Well, I think hold on. I think you've got a little bit of boxing in your background. Yeah, too. yeah. And then and you. so he so he's 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 a professional prize fighter. He's cutting meat for a living. And and uh, a guy came uh, from the local racetrack and asked my dad if he'd been interested in flagging. My dad said when it came to racing, he said he looked at it as a dog chasing its tail. It just had no interest in it the guy said how much do you make a week he goes forty dollars and can you imagine you're working 40 some odd hours a week for forty dollars and uh so um he saw i'll pay you 75 dollars a night 
So my dad said, sign me up. So he ended up being the flagman. And they all the only rule they told us was like anybody that disagreed with disqualification or, or got mad at the owner of the racetrack started shoving around, just deck him. Well, my dad was, you know, a prize fighter, man, so hitting people was his thing. So he had so that's how rough and tumble it used to be in the racing world. And so I've been around it since I was one year old. Then my mom, for extra money, she started scoring the races. So they would just put me in a truck in the pit area. Uh, during the races and the closest one to the scoring stand and if i of a sudden had got hungry you know i had an accident in my diaper they would they would take care of that however if their car was going out you know for a heat race or a feature they would hand me off to the next truck you know and so some nights i'd be in that same truck at the end of the night and there's some nights my mom said she, they'd find me halfway across the pit area. They just kept passing me off, passing me off, passing me off. Um, which A says, uh, you know, what the racing family was all about, always has been. And B, we live in a much different world today than, than what was going on oh. back then. Uh, and then kind of fast forward, you know, so I go, I, I start, in, you know, be, about 14 or 15 years old, somebody came to town. And when we moved to Vermont, uh, challenging, you know, our town to start a boxing team and making it, you know, making this guy was a coach. He's making it sound like his son was some big hot shot or whatever, you know. And um, so I volunteered my dad to be a boxing coach. He had, he had to read about it in the paper the next day. That's the absolute <laughs> truth. And, uh, and then I told him I want to do it, you know. And so my dad had a theory. We only had a small place to train. They gave us to train. And so uh, if you showed up, hey, I want to box. Uh, for three nights, he'd put you in with somebody at least twice your size, and they would beat you half to death, concuss you. Literally, you'd walk away with a concussion. Uh, and if you came back the fourth night, he'd call off the dogs and go like, all right, you're tough enough, you can take a punch, and, and he'd start to teach you. And so I like to call it not a half a lifetime ago. I like to call it a half a body ago. Um, I, you know, I was a seven-time you know boxing champ, stayed in Vermont, New England uh, champion, fought the Nationals with Ray Leonard before he was Sugar Ray Leonard, Leon Spinks, and all those kind of guys uh, trying to make the Olympics in 1976. So I uh, came close. I didn't get, didn't get all the way there, um, but came pretty close. And uh, so it was an interesting experience. And that, that experience right there, I know when I was in college, my college uh, teacher just hated you know, boxing called me a Neanderthal, a knuckle. She literally in class would call me a knuckle dragger and, and all these kind of things. And the funny part was that I get little notes from the, the president of the college, like, Hey man, thanks for mentioning you were a student at Castleton state college. And, you know, and, you know, appreciate, you know, you, you know, kind of flying the banner for us a little bit, even though it's not an official school sport and all that kind of stuff. And then, then the teachers, you know, just calling me everything, but, you know, uh, doing everything, but cussing me out in, in the class. And uh, she'd always go like, oh, you know, how many brain cells do you lose this week? You know, every time you get in the head, you hit in the head, you lose 750,000, a million brain cells. And I would sit there and go like, well, I don't know how many I lost. I said, but I know the other guy lost more because I won, you know, <laughs> or I knocked him out, I, you know, or that kind of thing. Um, but that, that experience right there actually probably served me better in life than just about anything. Uh, because when you get in a ring, they do the introductions and everybody gets out of the ring and the, the lights go down. You got one light over the top, and that bell goes ding. At that point, there's no more lonely feeling in the whole wild world because that man means to hurt you, and you got you to gotta hurt him back or hurt him first. 
or hurt them the worst. Um, and so the fact is teaches you survival and teaches you sometimes you're on your own and you really you don't you don't have a backup plan. There's only one way forward, and uh, so it served me well in life. Just that, just that, that teaching you sometimes, like man, you've all you've got, and you've you've got to find a way to survive. Cool. And then from there, what got you to so they went out of college, or was it? Did you get involved in the announcing? Well, I got yeah, I got out of college. I was halfway through college, and I'd never heard of a thing called Motor Racing Network. Had never heard of it. Right, broadcasting races on radio and all that kind of stuff. Uh, a guy had walked in local dirt track and said, I, I need an announcer. And I go like, I'll do it. And he goes, do you know anything about racing? Well, I grew up around it my whole life, but the last three years while I was going to college, hadn't been to a, a single race. My dad wasn't flagging anymore. My mom wasn't working the racetrack anymore. And I said, but I know all about it and I need the money. So I start Devil's Bowl Speedway, Fairhaven, Vermont, dirt track plowed out of a cow field. And at the time, they would even let cows graze off the backstretch. So it was nothing for a guy to lose control and wind up crashing into a cow. I mean, literally, uh, PA system was put together, uh, hooked up by two 12-volt batteries every week. You charged them all week, and then you come in, and you put the clamps on, and you know, then you power up your system. And anyways, the long and the short of that, I was doing that, and then a professor, I, I read this thing about Motor Racing Network. So one of my student advisors took me home for lunch in Castellan, Vermont, little town, Castellan State College is in. And uh, we wrote a letter to Motor Racing Network, and they wrote back, "Hey, do a, you know, audition tape." So I bought like a eight dollar recorder at Radio Shack with one of those little plastic mics that they had that was like a dollar, something like that, and went up into the grandstands of this dirt track, and I had somebody do the rate one of these races while I was doing that, and I sent the tape off to uh, Motor Racing Network. And they sent me back a, a letter that I thought was a form letter. Hey, you got a lot of promise, a lot of talent, but you need to refine it. You need to polish it, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I thought it was the kind of letter that they sent to everybody. Uh, and uh, a few weeks later, they had a, the biggest racetrack in New England, had their announcer after 35 years, right in the middle of the season, get so sick he had to retire. And so they decided to hold auditions. Well, Daytona, Motor Racing Network, sent my name up there and said, look, you ought to give this kid a tryout. And so, uh, long story short, I won the audition. The guy that hired me at Stafford for two years then went to Daytona, uh, hired me to go to Daytona. And so, three and a half years after I started at Devil's Bowl Speedway, I'm in a tower in turn three at Daytona, about 80 feet in the air, and I'm afraid of heights. I was, like, <laughs> petrified doing the Daytona 500. And, you know, talking about, here comes Richard Petty and Kale Yarbrough. Just blew my mind. I said, how did a redneck from Vermont get get a chance to do this? Hey, you know, we sit there and look at that. You know how God oh, no brings doubt. things around. No stuff, doubt. God, had, God had, a, had a hand in it the whole time. Even when I wasn't a Christian, he had a hand in it the whole time. Absolutely. And when we come back, we're going to uh, talk a little bit more of Mark and sort of see what's going on in NASCAR today. So we'll see you back in just a moment. Thank you for listening to Christian Car Guy Radio. Welcome back to Christian Car Guy Radio. I'm Jerry Mathis with Mark Garrow. Uh, before I ask Mark a question on, on, on where he thinks NASCAR is going, and stuff, uh-huh. I'll give you a second to think about that. I'm gonna I'd like to always mention some scripture and stuff, and and this I'm gonna just read a couple passages that is familiar to all of us. But I tell you what, after coming off of a mission trip, it always makes me think about how much I really understand 
this command that Jesus Christ gave us. Right. You know, it's in Matthew 28, and it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Hmm. You know, you think about really what that, that message is. You know, we, we read that sometimes. We think, you know, he's talking to the disciples or he's talking to the preachers or the missionaries. Right. You know, he's talking to to me. He's talking to Mark. He's talking to all of us. And then a companion piece of scripture I like with that is Acts eight. But you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit comes to you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Jordan, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All of a sudden, you know what? It isn't necessarily about where I'm at or where I think I need to go. It's where God has placed me right now. Right. So you know what? On South Main Street at Ray's Body Shop or at Pinedale Christian Church in the community right. at this radio station, that that that's my that's my Jerusalem. That's 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 where God placed me. Mark, when you're you know, God's placed you in places that I'll never be able to go. I mean, it's interesting about. you say that because, you know, I've talked to uh, assistant pastor, uh, John White now, he's pastor church up uh, in King. I think it's First Baptist. And, you know, I used to go to him and go like, man, I just wish I had the courage and conviction to be a missionary. I feel bad that I don't, you know, I've, I, I just don't, I just wish I had that kind of courage and conviction. And one time I said, well, do you ever think that God put you where you are to impact people uh, to maybe give? you to earn more money to give, you know, to help keep these people on the mission field. Maybe that's your job. Uh, but I've always had that conversation with myself, like, man, you need to get out there more. You got to stretch out there. And, and, you know, again, ends of the earth, you know, there's not a place that the word of God can't be used. Uh, and there's probably not a place, no matter uh, where we're at, that uh, there's always somebody who hasn't heard the name Jesus. Absolutely. So. And, and one of the ways that we're able to do it on the through this radio show and through Christian Car Guy Radio is Jesus Labor of Love. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Mark, but it's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's given bringing Jesus Christ to, 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 to mothers and, and single women and, and people that are in crisis through the use of a vehicle. And it may right. be repairing a vehicle, giving them a vehicle. And I just wanted to make sure I took just a moment to say, you know, we're we're giving away these neat t-shirts that say christian car guy on the front and jesus labor of love on the back with any donation to jesus labor of love so you can go on christian car guy website or pull up jesus labor of love and you'll see with the donate button and you'll receive one of these cool t-shirts so i encourage you to do that because every bit of the money that comes in through that ministry is used to provide service for people the applicants and stuff so right. that's just a way to help i encourage you that another thing that's coming up is at pondale christian church we're having a veterans dental clinic um the weekend uh what's next weekend is you can go online pull it up on website uh leave it better winston-salem or pondale christian church you can call and get signed up if you're a veteran on saturday and sunday so openings for a free dental clinic but now back to NASCAR. <laughs> okay. I want to just, because I don't want to get out of here without, what is the one trend or the, the biggest <sighs> change in the last couple of years you've seen in NASCAR? Because there's a lot of talk about, you know, the popularity, the ratings. And, and we've got problems. Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt that NASCAR uh, is not at the height that it was back in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. 
and I think a lot of it can be traced back to, you know, everything in life is about momentum. You know, churches are growing because they have momentum, uh, and they can take advantage of that momentum, and they take the next step up, and that builds a little more momentum. Um, and then if you lose it, you know, whether you're a church or racing team or NASCAR, the same thing applies, only it's flying, it's going back the other way. You lose momentum, and then that causes you to slow, everything slows down, and that causes you, again, more loss of momentum. Uh, and then the, then it starts that snowball rolling downhill kind of thing. I think it all began with us in NASCAR with the death of Dale Earnhardt. I mean, that was the first a uh, little snowball that started rolling down the hill. And I think, um, you know, the car of tomorrow and a wing on the back was a terrible mistake. Uh, it was just a square box, and you just put your, you know, Ford emblem or your Chevy emblem or Toyota emblem on it. It looked like nothing that people could drive around on the road, go by at the dealership, which is what NASCAR was founded yeah, on. Race it on Sunday, yeah. win with it on Sunday, and go buy it on Monday. Uh, they got away from that. Um, number of stars started retiring here towards the end. You know, Jeff Gordon's gone, and Tony Stewart is gone, and Carl Edwards is gone. And, you know, so a lot of very talented people have walked away. Dale Earnhardt Jr., although they've got, he's gone to the broadcast booth, I think he'll be more popular uh, down the road than he ever was because he's such a great broadcaster. Um, and, you know, the other part of this thing, sort of subtly behind the scenes, over the years, these hotels, and you know, I hate to use this word rate, but they just raped us on the rates. And so you'd go to a hotel that was $50, $75 a night, racing would come in, it's $275, $375, 475 and so, you know, dad with mom and two kids, all of a sudden, you know, they're going to, you know, and three nights minimum, you know, so all of a sudden twelve, thirteen hundred dollars for the hotel room. And, you know, uh, we couldn't give Junior, you know, a, a $10 ticket. Look, that ticket's 150 bucks for dad. It's 150 bucks for little Johnny. Um, and so a generation of kids got dropped off where dad's, look, he's going to sleep half the race. I'm not going to buy a $150 ticket for him. And so where his great-granddad brought granddad, granddad bought dad, all of a sudden dad wasn't bringing son. Um, and then, the, like I said, the hotel rooms, I mean, Bristol now, I mean, you look at what happened up there, it's all because of the hotels. And the funny part is they're all empty now, and they're still trying to charge $350 a night, and nobody's there to, uh, to deal with it. So there's a lot of different things that went into it. Uh, NASCAR has new leadership now. Um, and I think they've, they've turned things back in the right direction. Now it's, you know, when the snowball rolls down the hill, it's a whole lot easier going down. Now when you have to push that rock up the hill, uh, it takes more time. It's piece by piece. So I think NASCAR has done some really good stuff lately. The racing's better. It's more competitive. Uh, the drivers that used to just kind of walk away and not deal with fans and sign autographs and things like that, they're back to what they used to do. And they hang out, they sign autographs, and they do special shows at the racetrack, and they do radio shows and special TV shows. They're doing all they can uh, to help rebuild the sport. Uh, and so I think we're heading now in a better direction. Uh, will we get back to the, you know, the heyday of, you know, the 1990s when the Jeff Gordon-Dale Earnhardt rivalry just filled everything up every time we uh, went to a racetrack? I'm not sure. I hope so. Um, you know, my career is sort of coming to an end in it. You know, I've been uh, somebody the other day. So how long you been doing it? And I said, well, I'll just tell you this much. I was on the air when Richard Petty won his 200. <laughs> and that was 1984. 
Uh, so I've been doing it a while. So I'm sort of sort of at the tail end of my career. Um, but I'm hoping that, you know, we get things turned around. So somebody who is 20 something like I was and thinking like, I'm going to, I want to go do this. They have a chance to go do it, you know? So I want to try to hopefully leave it in a better position than, than, than I left it or I started with. And so I hope that's what happens because a lot of, a lot of great young kids out there want to try to get into my position. So as I hang it up right off into the sunset, I hope they get some great opportunities. Ah, that Mark, I tell you, I am so, uh, man, I'm so glad I got you in the studio. Hey, look, this was on my bucket list. You know, I'm telling you, I wanted to do the car guy show. I've listened to you guys forever. You know, I wanted to do the show. Well, this has been awesome. And I just thank you for being here. And as we talked about, Hey Mark, your mission field is where I'll never go. And I just, (laughs) just remember that. And same thing with everybody out there listening. Wherever you're at, God is going to use you. Just be willing to be an instrument that he can use. We wouldn't know each other unless God put us together. He put us together in a very strange way. We did not, our friendship did not start conventionally, that's for sure. That's for sure. And I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to call you friend, brother in Christ. And I enjoy every moment of it. Thank you again 